Love is our deepest need, an emotion we crave. It is acceptance, joy, relationship. From our early days, these seeds were planted in our hearts. When I was little, all I really remember was the music and how I loved listening to the music and how you actually learn the Bible stories through the music. And that's how I really learned about God. Like the week by week things, the wow and the KQs, you know, it keeps it keeps Jesus and God in, in the kids' minds throughout the year. And so, you know, they're learning constantly and they just they just keep wanting to, to experience more and, and come back and learn more. I always really liked watching the song leaders and how much energy they had and how much fun they had, and so I really wanted to be a part of that. I see it filling them with love and excitement for God. It gives you a stronger relationship with God and it helps you grow in your faith when you don't really even realize you're doing it. I've gotten the real great opportunity to watch a kid come through a KQ program, get excited about their faith, uh, join Power Life and confirm their faith. Uh, some of them even get baptized in that period of time. And then in high school, really start to discover what it means to live it out. And that light bulb goes on in a kid's heart and in their life. Uh, that changes everything. It's a game changer for them. Our goal is that a student would feel safe and would feel loved here and that they would know that God loves them, that God is with them no matter what. And so we tend to hear stories of students going through really, really hard times, things that would be challenging for an adult. Um, and so when you consider how we can meet them where they're at and tell them that God loves them and is with them no matter what, that's our goal. That's really important to us. And that's our opportunity is to build relationships and do what we can so they know that they are loved here in this place and that God loves them no matter what. Seeing the, the kids, they, they want to go, they want to attend, and uh, our kids knowing that uh, they enjoy coming, I think is a, is a neat feeling. Darren and I made the commitment to serve every weekend with Children's Ministry and BKQ leaders for both Owen and Abigail's grade levels. And so in that, um, there were just several statements and comments that were made throughout the year that made us realize what we were doing uh, as a family was really impacting them. Some of the, um, the, the comments, and I've written the dates down and, and those comments in this book that I treasure about um, what they said that definitely made us realize um, their growth. I think one of the greatest gifts that a parent can give to their son or daughter is to be engaged in the life, especially the spiritual life of their child. The family should be the primary place where kids hear about the stories of God and that we as the church get to come alongside families and be a part of that story uh, is I think when ministry is done best. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Before we get onto our sermon topic today, uh, can we just take a moment and go back a couple minutes to that band that was just up here? Can we give them a round of applause? I thought the Lumineers were here for a second or something. I don't know, but uh, very, very excited to be with you all this morning, uh, and what a great day to worship. Amen? Amen. 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 Whether you're uh, two or uh, 102, uh, we are glad that you're here uh, this morning. We want to let you know a lot of things this morning. One, we just want to, I want to echo what Brianne said as we started with our announcements this morning. One is that we believe it's no accident that you're here. We believe that God is uh, bringing people into this church, not just this church, not just this 
school, but into this community that God uh, is wiring together uh, and knitting together uh, for a purpose. And we believe that He wants to change your life, and uh, we are excited about that. We also want to let you know, in case you didn't get the memo, summer is in the rearview mirror. It keeps trying to hold on with this weather, right? But it's in the rearview mirror. I mean, my kids have actually gotten the routine to go to school down now, so you know some time has passed, right? The leaves are starting to turn. I mean, the Iowa State football game has already happened, and I'm still living in the glory of that day, but, right? It's fall. It's fall. And just as kids go back to school and uh, have to brush up, you know, kick off the dust on, on the basics of what it means to be a student uh, and, and what it is that they're learning. We think as a church, spiritually speaking, this time of year we need to do that as well. And so today we're wrapping up our sermon series. Uh, it's called Back to School, and we've been looking at some basic uh, yet fundamental and incredibly important things, things like worship. Why do we take the time to worship? How do we read the Bible? Why is prayer such a big deal, right? Why does that need to be central to our faith? How do I discover God's will for my life? Just, just a little question, right? But things we need to dig into, and last week John talked about this idea that following Jesus isn't just something we do on Sundays, but it's a full-time gig. Here's the thing about the basics, right? We can make following Jesus so complicated. We can come up with this to-do list of all these things that we need to do and these things that we should do and things we're supposed to know and remember and, and make sure that we check off our list and and yet I think we can kind of make it too complicated sometimes. Amen? I mean, at the end of the day, isn't it about the fact that God loves us and we take that love into our hearts and we get to share that love with other people, but we wanted to come back to the basics. And today we're, we're wrapping up this series with another fundamental of the faith, I think, right? Another basic. We're talking about raising up the next generation behind us, however old we are, raising up the next generation behind us. In other words, we're talking about this morning, how do we point kids to Christ. And it's, uh, it's an easy thing at times, and there are other times where it makes you want to pull your hair out, at least as a parent. Any parents in the room? Amen. There are days where you're thinking, what was I thinking, right? But here's the thing. We may not think of raising up the next generation, uh, the generation behind us as a key spiritual discipline, but I think that it is. I think it's a fundamental. As you can see in that video uh, that our children and student ministry team out at our West Des Moines campus produced, Right? You can see that there's a fundamental need. You just watch those kids playing on a playground. There's something about getting to know their stories. There's something about them needing to be loved and needing to be shown how to make it through life. We all know the challenges that they're going to face. We know the things that are coming, and yet there's this fundamental need that we have for someone to show us the way. There's also some cute kids in that video, and if you're new today, some of my kids were in there for a little bit, but, and I even hesitate whether I should show that video clip or not. But here's the thing, I think what the adults had to say in that and the, the teenager in that uh, video had to say, I think is really important. Just a few things that kind of stuck out to me. One is the fact that our KQ teachers, people who work every Sunday morning with our kids upstairs, right? We stay down here for the boring stuff. They get to go up and have fun. They're standing on holy ground right now. Are they not? right? For those of you that were crazy enough to help us with VBS, whether you're a song leader or you put out snacks or you just tried to keep the chaos to a minimum as a shepherd or a group leader, whatever your role was, that is a holy calling. I mean, that's, that's what those videos show me. It's an amazing thing. And just this morning, I think sometimes we don't talk about this very often, the importance of raising up not just the next generation, but the kids that are in our midst. If, if you've been a part in children's ministry, whether that was KQ helping out, maybe you've been bringing supplies for something, maybe uh, you helped out with VBS, would you just stand right now? 
I know this is embarrassing. You don't want to. But would you stand so we can say thank you to you for giving your time to the kids in our congregation? And of course, there's a lot of people upstairs helping out with that, and I tried to figure out a way to get KQ down here, but we don't function well in the same room. So after the service, tell them thank you. I stand up here not just as a, as a pastor today, but I stand up here as a dad, and I would say thank you for that. Because I think the kids at this church are lucky. They're lucky to have adults who aren't just talking about their faith here, but there's a whole network of adults who are living it out. And we as a church, and I'm not, just, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about you guys this morning, you do this really, really well. You do this really well, and, and we love the work that goes on through our ministries to kids here. And yet for some of us here this morning, we say this idea, you hear this idea that we're talking about pointing kids to Christ, and we're entertaining this notion that, that you might have the ability to do that. You say, who am I to do this, right? Who am I to help out? I can't even point myself to Christ every day. How on earth am I going to help out and point kids to Christ? And I would just tell you, it's a lot more natural. It's a lot more simple than maybe you'd ever realize. And the truth about it also is they have a lot more to teach us than we have to teach them. Amen? Amen. 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 We can learn a lot by spending time with kids. So if that's you and you're on the fence, I want to let you know that God has designed this very idea into the very core fabric of who we are. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It starts back at the very basic beginnings of our faith. And it starts uh, early on in Jesus' ministry. But this morning, I want to start with Matthew 28. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I want you to grab it. I want you to open to Matthew 28. I'm going to put the words up on the screen here as well, starting in verse 18. We call this the Great Commission. It's, it's one of the final instructions that Jesus gave his disciples. He was preparing to... Uh, head off to be with his father. He's died on the cross. He's risen. He's appearing to his disciples. Around here, we call it the Great Commission. We also call it the Great Commish. Everybody say the Great Commish. Right? Here's what Jesus has to say. And maybe you've heard this verse a hundred times. But have you ever thought it in terms of the relationship that you have with those little people that run around here on Sunday morning, or, or maybe it's not even here on Sunday morning. Maybe it's the people you see in your neighborhood. Maybe it's the people, the kids of the people that you work with. We all have an opportunity, and here is what Jesus is telling us, right? He says in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Again, Jesus has been walking with these guys for three years. And be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? There's a lot to look at in this passage. That's a lot of words up on that screen. But it's really helpful to boil it down, to get to the heart of what God is saying here. Just look at the verbs. Right? The verbs. To boil it down. Go, make disciples. How on earth do you do that? We're going to talk about that. Baptize and teach, right? Go, make, baptize, teach. It sounds kind of intense, doesn't it? But here's what I want us to know this morning, and I think as a church we do this pretty well, but I think we need to hear it again. Because every once in a while we get in this mindset that I, I, can't, I can't help, I can't influence someone's faith. I'm just a person who's just trying to figure it out. Here's what I want you to know. These are not professionals that Jesus is talking to. These are ordinary, regular, nine-to-five people who happen to put their careers on hold to follow Jesus around and watch what he does. They've been walking with him. They've watched him. They've eaten meals with him. I'm pretty sure they argued or got yelled at by him, 
right? They did life with Jesus. They saw how he lived. That's what qualifies you as a disciple maker, as one who can point kids to Christ. And I think, I just want you to know that this morning. In spending these three years with Jesus' disciples, he gave them a mission in, in these very words, and he does the same for us. He asks us to share what we've learned. Think of yourself as a bucket this morning. As God fills you up, there's no end user in this process. You get to take your bucket, and when it's filled, you get to dump it all over someone. We should have our own ice bucket challenge, huh? Right? That's what it means to be the church. There's no end user in Christianity, and I wonder if we ever think about that. Sometimes we just want to get our buckets so filled that we never think about dumping it out. And eventually the water gets stale. There's something to be said for living this out. People ask me all the time, so how do I make a disciple? What is a disciple? And I like to put on my pastor hat and say, well, the Greek word is methetes, and it's literally translated, uh, it's translated as learner or student, and people kind of glaze over, right? So I'm not going to bore you with that this morning. I'm going to tell you what some friends of mine from England, Nigel and Patty, had to tell me. They looked at me one time when I was in a, in a conversation with them, and they said, you know what a disciple is? A disciple is someone who looks like a sheep from the front and a shepherd from the back. Everybody repeat after me. A sheep from the front. Let's try this again. Let's be coordinated here. Ready? One, two, three. Sheep from the front and a shepherd from the back. Very good. Does that make sense to anybody? Turn to the person next to you and say, man, he did not have his coffee this morning, did he? Right? He's not making any sense. A sheep from the front. What on earth is he talking about? Again, here's what I want you to know, and maybe you know this, and maybe you've just ignored this fact. Maybe you've known it, but you've chosen to put it on the shelf and not really think intentionally about it. It means that we're all following someone, right? When we get thrown in a situation and we want to solve a problem, when we need to learn a certain way of doing things, right, even if we don't have anybody else around us, if we're all by ourselves, we go back to the memories. Well, how did my parents do that, Right? How do my friends handle this, right? All of us, we have these examples in our mind of things that we're imitating. We look at people's examples around us and we work those into our own life. All of us, whether we want to believe it or not, we are following someone. The question is, what are we following or what are we imitating? That's what I mean when I say you look like a sheep from the front. Because really, it's a weird mental image, right? Sheep face. And yet we're shepherds from the back. And what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Just as you are following or imitating someone, and I mean this in the, not the least creepy way, people are watching your life. People are watching their life all around you, whether you know it or not. And here's the question they're asking. Is it worth following? Is it worth imitating? Is the advice they give, the decisions they make, the way that they, they carry out their understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus or a good employee or a mom or a dad or whatever it is, whatever hats you're wearing this week. Is it worth following? Someone is following you. And the issue is, as I already said, rarely are we intentional with it, right? We're all following someone and we all have other people following us, but are we intentional and are we thinking critically about that? I think we've got to get that figured out if we're going to point kids to Christ, so here's what I want you to know, whether you're a parent or you're a grandparent here this morning, whether you have no kids at all, you are already in a position of pointing kids somewhere. You are already in a position of making disciples. The question is, making disciples of what? It's a little overwhelming when you think about it. 
but it's a fundamental aspect of the faith. Again, Matthew 28, that's why Jesus gives this command, because he knows that we're going to do it anyway. He's sending out his disciples to raise a new group of believers up. But if you dive deeper into Scripture, throughout the Scriptures, all over the place, even in Jesus' own ministry, you see that God is passionate, not just about raising up disciples in general, but man, God loves little kids. Check this out, Deuteronomy 6. He says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Moses has been given a speech laying out some of God's picture for life. He says, you must, admit, you must commit yourselves to these commands that I'm giving you today. You repeat them again and again to your children. Joel 1, he says, tell your children about me in the years to come and let your children tell their children. Pass down the story from generation to generation. Psalm 78, he commanded our ancestors to teach God's stories to their children so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they will in turn teach it to their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God. And we heard it again in our scripture reading for today. God's passionate about raising up the next generation. And so you might be sitting here this morning saying, so what, what does God want us to know about pointing kids to Christ? We know that it's a big deal, but what does God want us to know? And I've been in student ministry or working with ministry to high school students, junior high students, or, or families uh, for the past decade, right? I'm trying to figure this out on my own in my house with four crazy kids, right? I don't have any answers. How's that for a nice comforting statement from a pastor, right? But I have noticed some things that really seem to help, that allow us to get ourselves out of the way, because here's the thing, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, even more as we go on. No matter how you raise your kids, even if you do everything right, it's still a wild card. We live in a world that is chaotic, right? Our role as a community of faith isn't to grow seeds, it's to plant them and watch God grow them. However they grow, however they blossom, whatever they end up looking like, that's God's job to make that stuff happen. So some of us might be here this morning with a lot of weight on our shoulders, with a lot of sadness, with a lot of should-haves, could-haves, and would-haves. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know that there is no more humbling experience than being a parent. I can attest to that. And the good thing about that is that it, it points you back to Christ. The challenging thing is, like I said, there are days when you just don't know what you're going to do. But in my experience, three things that have been a great place to even start the conversation about what do we do in this. Number one, making a weekly, attending a weekly worship service a priority. And this is, goes back to, it's even in God's top 10 in the, the Ten Commandments. God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's, it's a really good thing, right? If God puts something on, go to church, basically on the same list as do not kill, we should probably pay attention to that. Do you think? Right? But we all know this can be a challenge. I mean, some of us this morning, I mean, I've watched some of you. I, I saluted you and I applauded you when you made it here with your kids this morning because it can take a lot of effort just to get here, right? Hebrews 10, 25, too, this verse, it talks about the fact that this challenge is nothing new. Let us not neglect our meeting together, the author says, right? As some people do, but encourage one another, right? Even in biblical times, there's this challenge to figure out how to make being a part of a community a good thing, because there are all these forces that pull against it. Going to worship, it seems like a simple thing, and yet there are days when it's not, right? As a parent, it's not easy, to, to, as easy as you might think. There's so much that goes on. There are things that are competing for our time, 
right? Like soccer practices. Every once in a while, I'm driving down 235 on my way here, and there are kids in a park getting ready to play a game, right? There's a challenge. There's a force that pulls against us as we do this. And not just that, not just competing for our time. There are things that compete from our energy, compete for our energy, right? And let me just give you a snapshot of what it's like in the Hermanson house. Just to make it to the 915 service, right? We have to get up at O dark 30, the crack of dawn, right? We've got to get ourselves dressed. We've got to get ourselves fed. We've got to make sure that we even know where the keys to the car are because that's a 50-50 in our house, right? Then you've got to start working with the little people, right? And you've got to get them out of bed and you've got to have a 15-minute conversation why shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops in 15-degree below zero weather is not a good idea or church appropriate, right? And if you can make it that far, you've still got to go find their Bibles so they can show up and have them with them. Right? you got to get shoes on people. You have no idea how hard that is some days. <laughs> and then you got to get them in the right car seat, and they got to fit, and they got to get buckled, and then you got to make sure that you don't forget how to get to church because some days you just, you're that tired. And then somehow you've got to get from the parking lot in here, and you've got to avoid that vortex back there around the donut holes. <laughs> and you've got to hope to make it to your seat. Bringing kids to church can be so exhausting. And I think sometimes we forget that. And so a lot of us as parents, sometimes we ask this question, even as a guy who works at a church, sometimes I've got to ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Why fight the battles? Here's why. Because it will make a huge difference in your kid's life. There was a study recently that came out uh, from a little university known USC, a guy named Vern Bankston uh, is a sociologist and he was in grad school in the 70s, uh, 60s actually, in Chicago and he realized among all of his fellow students, he was one of the only people who still believed in God. He was one of the only people who still had a religious faith and as a researcher, he thought, well man, I wonder what happens in kids' lives when they're little that allows them to go the distance with their faith and he studied lots of things. So from 2000, I'm sorry, 1970, to 2005, 35 years, he surveyed 3,500 grandparents, kids, parents, religious leaders, all these different people, and he interviewed them regularly to figure out what are the key ingredients that go into the, the way that we raise children that allows them to do this. And one of the things, he had many answers, but one of the things that he talked about was this idea of regularly attending worship. And basically, he figured out as he went uh, through his research, he figured out people fit into three categories. We've got the weekly attenders, the people who make it a priority. I mean, and even if I-235 is shut down because of a blizzard, they are still going to find a way to make it worship, to worship, right? Um, maybe they're not quite that hardcore, but they definitely make it a priority and schedule other things around worship. Then there are the people when they can, fit it into their schedule, right? You know, once, twice, maybe on a good month, three times uh, a month they would make it to worship, but they would go when they had time in their schedule, once or twice a month. Uh, and then there are the people that almost never went as I trip. Uh, and they, we'd put them in the category where faith was never a priority. Maybe they didn't even practice in the home, but rarely did they ever attend a worship service. And what was interesting about this is some of the results, as you might expect, really played out. As he interviewed people, as he got to know them, he began to realize that this group that attended weekly uh, worship as a kid, after 35 years, 69% of them made it through 
and still actively, they would describe themselves as actively involved in their faith, right? Now, that makes sense. Now, the surprising thing, one of the surprising things for me was the group that rarely attended, actually, over those 35 years, 26% of those people had found their way into religious Christian community. That's actually kind of encouraging to me, you know? As people, it's not contingent just on worship service, but worship service definitely helps. The shocking thing for me, if you go once or twice a month, if you don't make it a priority, but you just do it kind of as you are able, 31%. Unless we make it a priority, it doesn't make that big of a difference. There's only 5% difference between these two groups. So really there's one way or another. Either we make worship a priority or we don't. And I understand that all of us come from different backgrounds and there probably each of us would be represented in each of those categories here. But here's the thing that I know. If you're asking yourself this question, is it worth it to bring kids to worship, right? They make noise and it stresses you out because you think, I've got to keep them quiet. The answer is yes. The decision between strongly encouraging your kids to come to worship and not letting yourself fight that battle can have eternal consequences. And there's potential for great impact. If you add up all of the hours between 4 and 18 years old, if, if kids go to worship every, every week of the year, over that, that span of those 14 years, 780 hours of intentional opportunity for people to watch for kids to watch and, and learn how to worship God. I mean, what kind of impact would spending 780 hours doing anything with your kids have on shaping them? It's an incredible thing to think about. And the challenges are there, but they're worth it. And parents, we just want you to know, we say this hopefully every Sunday, but we want you to know again, please bring your kids, right? You will never get a dirty look from anybody in this church if you bring your kids to worship. If you do, tell me and I'll punch them in the arm right? The disciples, it says in uh, the scriptures that I was reading in preparation for this, Jesus, there's a story, and I believe it's in Mark's gospel, where the disciples stop and they scold the parents for bringing their kids to Jesus, right? I mean, you got to be a brave disciple to scold a parent to begin with. Scolding is their job, right? And Jesus says, let the kids come to me. We are a congregation that reflects that. Bring your kids to worship. It's one of the best things that you can do among a couple of things we're going to talk about this morning that can point kids to Christ. And if you're a grandparent, if you have a neighbor, invite. There's no reason you can't bring kids to worship. We joke around here from time to time, and it's a pretty lame joke, but we joke that this place is like Olive Garden, right? When you're here, you're family, only we don't serve breadsticks. <laughs> kids need to be a part of this family because we've got something way better than breadsticks, right? We've got Jesus, and we need all of that that we can get. It's important that kids come and that they see their parents, but not just their parents, other people they love and respect worshiping, which brings us to our second one of our things that really help us point kids to Christ, to be the kind of people who can live faith out. I can't tell you how important this is that we live our faith out, again, as we're talking about imitation and all these different things this morning, it's important that we have an example to follow. Right? I was thinking about this, and here's the reality. Kids learn what they live, right? If they see this, they learn what they live. And we were just talking about in worship the impact that kids 
uh, can have through by attending church. Well, here's the reality, though. Here's something I want you to know. In a given year, it's estimated, right, in one year that we have 40, because uh, not everybody attends worship every week, and we understand that. You're never going to catch flack from us for that. Life happens, right? But it's, uh, it's estimated that we have 40 hours as a church through KQ, worship services, whatever it is, to influence a child, right? So to be funny, I created 40. I put 40 crayons. This is what I do all week when I'm thinking about my sermon, right? I put 40 crayons in here, right? You can see, I mean, there's a decent amount. I've got, uh, it's probably a couple handfuls. I don't know if I can do this without spilling it, right? I've got 40, right? 40 hours we as a church can impact kids. I did a little research this week, and they estimate, though, as a parent, on average, you spend 3,000 hours a year with your kids. That's a, a slightly bigger range of impact, right? And I thought, well, how do you quantify that? I went uh, out to our West Des Moines campus because they have supplies like this. And I tell you, this is what I do all week, in case you wonder what pastors do, right? I grabbed a bin of 3,000 crayons, all right? I'm just going to pour these all over all of you right now, right? I'm not going to do that. But I want you to look. The difference between this, that's really heavy, and this. That's the difference between the home and what happens here on Sunday mornings. Worship attendance and being here regularly is important. Don't hear me wrong. But you know what's even better? Doing this thing in the home. That's part of what it means. And as we say around my house, if you, uh, it's important to put your money where your mouth is. I mean, here's the reality. For them to really grasp the fact that Jesus changes lives, kids have to see our lives being changed in the home. And we talk about this idea, put your money where your mouth is, right? What do we even mean by that? You can tell what's important to somebody by the way that they spend their resources, right? Your money, your time, your trust, the things that you're willing to risk, right? That reflects our values. And kids soak all this stuff up as they watch us, whether it's at home or out in public or wherever. They imitate what's around them. And I can tell you from experience that this happens all the time, I saw it even yesterday as we were at the Beaverdale Parade. Were any of you there, hot dog throwers? I got anybody here with me? Absolutely. I had a blast. I mean, I was a kid in a candy store. I think my kids loved it. Basically, if you went to the Beaverdale Parade yesterday, this is what you saw. You saw me running around, uh, pushing a stroller, pretending I was, I was channeling my inner Jerry Rice. You were, I was pretending that I was a wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm going long as Joe, one of the guys who goes to this church but also works on our production team, West Des Moines. He's throwing me deep passes with the hot dog, and I'm trying to catch it with one hand, right, and hand it out to the kids. And that was great. That was great. Handing them out, and as we're going around, I'm yelling, Hope dogs, get your hope dogs, right? And you don't understand. You don't understand. This was a blast yesterday. I was having so much fun. Even people were looking at me like, Whoa, this guy is really excited about it, right? And then there was kids along the side of the parade route, and they're like, Oh, they're, they're disappointed that we only brought 1,520 hot dogs to the parade, right? They're just sad that we couldn't do a few extra so we could give every single person one. So you know how I cheered them up when we were in this? I'm yelling, Hope dogs, hope dogs. I said, Hey, I, we have some candy we're giving out too. Do you want a piece of candy? I can put some ketchup and mustard on this for you. And they all kind of, well, some of them got it. Some of them just looked at me like I was crazy, right? But I'm yelling around and I'm yelling, hope dogs, hope dogs. And we're handing out hot dogs and we're giving out flyers. And we've got big smiles on our faces and we're running around and we're having way too much fun. And I'm walking and all of a sudden this little person comes up next to me. My six-year-old, she grabs the hot dog out of my hand and this is what she does. She goes, Hope dogs, hope dogs, who wants a hope dog? And she gave it to this kid, this little kid, right? One kid to another. And he just goes, really? Wow, right? 
And I stopped in that moment, and you know you have these moments as a parent where you're just like, my little baby. She just, she's found her calling in life to hand out hot dogs at the Beaverdale Parade. How does she know how to do that, right? I mean, she saw me doing that, and, and, and that was a great experience this week. But you know what really blessed me as a parent this week? My six-year-old, again, and sometimes we get a little stressed in our house. We've got a lot of people living in a small space in our house. And I had a sermon to work on, and I'm thinking about this, and there was a Beaverdale parade yesterday, and I got all these things, and I was kind of feeling the weight of it on Thursday, and I looked at my six-year-old, and I just said, hey, Gwen, Gwen, would you pray for me, right? And I'm thinking, I wonder how this is going to go. I kid you not. My six-year-old walks up to me. She puts her hand on my shoulder, and she prays, Jesus, would you help Daddy today? Amen. How do kids do that? It wasn't me. It was her mom. I think she's seen her mom doing that a lot, right? <laughs> no, the truth is I think both of us have worked very hard in, in positive ways. We've provided that example for in negative ways, right? We're not perfect by any means. But it was just one of those moments knowing that even my six-year-old can pray for me. It reminded me of this important thing that we need to be living this faith out. And we get this, even in corporate America, we get this idea. I came across leadership podcast this week, and they're talking about, in an organizational sense, you know how corporations, organizations like to have their mission statement up on the wall, and they've got their core values. And I love the semi-truck company that says, our best resource is right here, and they've got a big arrow pointing to the cab. Maybe you've seen that on the freeway. Maybe you haven't, right? But, but they're trying to send these messages, right? And yet we've all worked at this place where, yeah, you know, it was a little different than what, it was one thing looking in from the outside, it was another one you were actually a part of it. And this, this pastor in this podcast this week, I just thought he had a, a great charge to the people listening to this. He said, leaders, but really I think this applies to all of us. He said, we have to do, we have to make our best effort to make sure that what's hanging on the wall is happening down the hall. And I wonder if that statement's true in our lives. Is what's happening, what's hanging on the wall, is it happening down the hall? Some of you are here this morning, you're just exhausted, and the last thing you want is another pep talk to go be perfect. And if you're thinking, if you're feeling this pressure to need to be perfect, is, is that what I'm saying? No. I would just ask you this question, are you Jesus? I mean, if the answer is yes, then you probably should be perfect. Otherwise, you've got all of the grace that you need. We talk about information, imitation, and innovation, this understanding of discipleship. Again, this idea that kids imitate us. And I wonder if our imitation, the things that come out of our mouth, and the imitation, the example that we provide, are those the same or are they different? There's an opportunity there to point kids to Christ. And dads, I don't want to put too much pressure on you this morning, but one of the things that came out in that research that I talked about goes back to the fact that fathers are as important as anyone in this whole thing. Isn't it interesting in our Bible reading for this morning, Ephesians 6, verse 4 starts with fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Isn't it interesting that God gives dads this extra little emphasis? And maybe it's because mom's already doing a fantastic job 24-7. And us guys, we've married up in a lot of ways and we need to get in the game. I don't know. But listen to what the research says. And this applies to dads, but I would say actually all men in the room, because again, we're all providing this example. Here's what the research says. Warm, affirming parents, especially fathers, tend to be the most successful in passing on the faith. 
Again and again, we saw that fervent faith cannot compensate for a distant, inflexible dad. Being a role model is irrelevant if the child doesn't feel the parenting's example is worth following. Strong words. Strong words and a strong reminder that the way we live our life is what matters. Third one, love them unconditionally. Easier said than done, but I bring this up this morning because I think sometimes we make this too complicated. And again, I think it's about loving unconditionally. It's about how you react in a situation rather than what you say when you react. At the end of the day, people don't remember what you said, right? I mean, some of us do at certain times, but oftentimes remember what, how people made us feel. And if Jesus stood for anything, it was love, right? God asks us to love others as he loves us unconditionally without agenda, and many of us have different ideas about what this looks like. There's one school of parenting, one school of, of discipling people, you could say, raising up next generation that just, we'll call it Phil's way, uh, is the way of kind of doing everything you can, trying to be as cool as you possibly can, and just make sure kids are your buddy and just, you know, love them unconditionally by letting them do whatever they want. And it turns out that may not be the best advice. In fact, Phil, uh, you may know him from a little show called Modern Family on ABC, uh, he put together a little, a little video about what he thinks is some good parenting advice. I just thought we'd take a look at this morning. You can, you can make up your own mind about what you think about this. Uh, some great parenting advice. Maybe not so much. So where do we turn for great parenting advice? Right? I think, again, looking back at, at our Bible reading for today, I mean, Scripture has plenty to say about not just being a great parent, but literally raising up the next generation of world changers. Bring them up, it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, bring your children up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I wonder if this isn't more what it looks like uh, to love unconditionally. I think no matter what, to keep a relationship going. But here's the thing, discipline gets a bad rap sometimes, right? Discipline, we, we think of this idea of punishment and that's part of it. But in reality, and I've heard it said that discipline is the shaping of a will. Discipline is, is learning this art, this yin and this yang of, yes, offering challenge and boundaries and correction, and yet at the same time, never sacrificing relationship, identity, warmth, closeness, intimacy. What if God is calling us to love unconditionally by living out his teaching in Ephesians chapter 6? What if it isn't just through consequences, but it's by grace being extended, right? What if it's through relationships being tested and, and built stronger and forged, of truth being shared, not just about what kids should do, right, but about who God has made them to be, how amazing they are. I think to love kids unconditionally, it happens by loving them the way that God loves his own son. Mark chapter 9, and this is where we're going to land this morning, Jesus is on a hiking trip with several of his disciples. They call it the Transfiguration. And he's taken the ones who are closest with them uh, up on this mountaintop uh, to have this uh, powerful experience. And it ends up happening, and it, it starts in verse 7, this cloud, this overshadows him, Jesus and his closest disciples. And, and essentially what happens is God shows up in his power and in his glory. And, and God's given this window, this moment to, to speak to his son. And here's the thing, he could say anything that he wants, any words at all to his son. And here's what he has to say. 
He says, this is my dearly beloved son. Listen to him. Let me read that again. This is my dearly beloved son. Listen to him. There's a pastor and a psychologist who hears these verses and, and through his experience has kind of come to understand that as human beings, there are three things that all of us, whether we're male or female, old, young, whoever we are, as human beings, there's this natural desire for us to hear these three things. One is, all of us need to hear, I love you. I love you. And it means a lot coming from our parents, but we need to hear that in a number of ways. One is, I love you. The second thing is, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm glad to see who you've become. And the third thing is, you need to hear specifically, every once in a while, you are good at. Fill in the blank. These three things, that's what God is communicating to his son, Jesus, as as he uh, is in the midst of his ministry, as he's facing these challenging times. He says, this is my dearly loved son. He's saying, I love you saying, I'm proud of you. And as he says, listen to him, he's saying, you are good at what you do. Take that and run with it. You might be sitting here this morning with your tough guy mentality as I have from time to time saying, that's just mushy stuff. We don't need to talk about that, right? I got news for you. Even Jesus himself had to hear this from his father. So how do we as disciples who fill our buckets up and pour it all over the people around us, how do we think we can survive that without that this morning? Which of those three do you need to hear this morning? I just want to create even 60 seconds of space. I know sometimes we get crazy in life and we jump on the next thing and we're going to be up and talking and tearing down chairs and getting ready for the next service, headed out in whatever way. But just give God just a minute to speak this truth to you. What do you need to hear this morning? Do you need God to say, I love you? Do you need God to say that he's proud of you? Or do you want God to share with you what you're good at? Because I guarantee you, he's got something powerful to say. We'll give a moment for God to speak and we'll close in prayer and we'll head on out. And if you want to talk to somebody more about this today, we'll have prayer partners up here after the service. They would love to pray with you. Let's pray.